need you to kind of plug in. I'm going to need your attention. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy quote, okay? And if your phone goes off with a security alert, um, it's going to totally ruin the effect of uh, this quote, okay? Uh, you've discovered, you d- the audience discovered that your boyfriend had been sleeping with your mother. The audience sniggered. Now the teenage girl on the stage ducked her head at the burst of attention. Uh, the mother, a middle-aged woman in too tight a black dress, sitting with her arm entwined with a skinny one of a boy in a sleeveless t-shirt. As she waved to the crowd, he grinned. The talk show host, Christy Adams, wasted no time. Did the two of you really sleep together? The mother, still holding the hand of the boy, looked at him. He grinned and she smiled. Yes. She went on to explain how she's been lonely since her divorce. Her daughter's boyfriend hung out at her house at all hours of the day and night. Well, one afternoon he just plopped down beside her on the couch. The, couch, the pair started talking. One thing led to another and the next thing uh, she knew they were, well, her face flushed. The boy shrugged. And as they let the audience complete the sentence, the girl just sat there expressionless and silent. Are you worried what this might teach your daughter, Christy inquired. I'm only teaching her the ways of the world. What about you, Christy? Asked the boy. Aren't you being unfaithful to your boyfriend, girlfriend? And the boy looked honestly amazed. I still love her, he said. I'm only helping her by loving her mother. We are one happy family. There's nothing wrong with that. The audience erupted with whistles and applause. And just as um, that began to subside, Christy told the lovers that not everyone would agree with you. I've invited a guest to react to your lifestyle. With that, the crowd got quiet. Anxious to see who Christy had recruited to spice up the dialogue, she said he's the world's most famous theologian. His writings have long been followed by some and debated by others. Making his first appearance on the Christy Adams Show, please welcome controversial theologian, scholar and author, the Apostle Paul. Polite applause welcomed a short, balding man with glasses and a tweed jacket. He loosened his tie a little, and as he settled his small frame into the stage chair, Christy skipped the welcome. You got trouble with what these people are doing? Paul held his hands in his lap, looked over at the trio, and then back at Christy. It's not how I feel that matters. It's how God feels. Christy paused so that the TV audience could feel the ooze ripping throughout the studio audience. Then tell us, Paul, how does God feel about this creative tryst? It angers him. Why? Evil angers God. Because evil destroys God's children. And what these people are doing is evil. The strong words triggered a few hoots, some scattered applause, and an outburst of raised hands. Before Christy could speak, Paul continued, As a result, God has left them and let them go their sinful way. Their thinking is dark, their acts are evil, and God is disgusted. A lanky fellow in the front row shouted out his objections. It's her body, she can do what she wants. Ah, but that is where you're mistaken. Her body belongs to God, and it is to be used for him. What we're doing is harmless, objected the mother. Look at your daughter, Paul urged her, gesturing towards the girl, whose eyes were full of tears. Don't you see how you've harmed her? You traded healthy love for lust, traded the love of God for the love of the flesh, you traded truth for lies, and you traded the natural for the unnatural. Christy could restrain herself no longer. 
Do you know how old-fashioned you sound? All this talk about God and right and wrong and immorality. Don't you feel out of touch with reality? Out of touch? No. Out of place? Yes. But out of touch hardly. God doesn't sit still while children indulge in perversions. He lets us go our sinful way and reap the consequences. Every broken home, every unwanted child, every war and tragedy can be traced back to our rebellion against God. People sprang to their feet, the mother her finger in Paul's face, and Christy turned to the camera, delighting in the pandemonium. We've got to take a break. She said, shouting over the noise, don't go away. We've got some, some more questions for the apostle. Now, of course, the script is fictional. All right. The script is fictional. There are shows like that on TV, aren't there? I hope you don't watch them. The script is fictional, but Paul's words are not fictional. Uh, What you've just had read to you in a creative way is Romans chapter 1. God is angry at, at evil, and that would come as a great shock, wouldn't it, to many in our city. Uh, many people assume that God is a harassed kind of high school teacher who's got his work cut out monitoring the planets, and he's too busy to notice us. That's the view some people have of God. Others assume that God is a, a doting parent who's blind to the faults of his children. Still others insist that he loves us so much he would never be angry with us. But love is always angry, isn't it? You see, love and anger are not opposites. Uh, Love and indifference are opposites. You cannot be indifferent, can you, when those you love are destroying themselves. That will make you angry. And God cares about the way we behave and God about the way that we treat one another. He cares about the way that we behave as his people towards other people too and the attitudes we adopt. He is not indifferent to these things. And nowhere do you see this more clearly than in Hosea chapter 3. James uh, Montgomery Boyce, um, kind of great preacher from the United States, said this. He calls Hosea chapter 3 the greatest chapter in the Bible because it tells the greatest story ever told. It's the story of God's faithful love to people like us who are hell-bent on destroying ourselves. And that is what the story of Hosea is all about. It's what the book of Hosea is all about. His unconditional love, which means he loves us even when he hates the way we behave and what we've become. I want us to notice three things. Uh, First, the plight, our plight as human beings. And secondly, the price that has been paid, the cost to bring us back. And then I want us to see a promise or a prophecy. So first of all, look at the plight that is described for us. Look at at verse 1. He says, the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Uh, Do you remember chapter 1? Well, you don't remember because we didn't look at it. But uh, chapter 1 tells us that uh, Goma... Um, uh, Hosea is told to go and marry a prostitute. And that's verse 1 of chapter 1. And since their marriage, uh, Goma has been sleeping around with other men. We saw that this morning in chapter 2. 
Uh, they've got three kids. And the first child might have been Hosea's, but the other two children probably weren't. One of them was actually called Not Mine. It's a pretty sordid story, isn't it? Um, even when she's been sleeping around with other guys, Hosea has been secretly caring for her. You see that in verse 7 uh, and in verse 8. He's been providing financially for her without her knowing it. And here in chapter 3, things go from bad to work, worse. She's now uh, back on the streets. As she's been discarded by all her lovers, she's lost all her looks. She's destitute. And worse than that, God says to Hosea, now go and love her again. Go and love her again. Uh, The woman has betrayed him. She's broken his heart. She's brought shame on him. And he's just gone on loving her. It's an old hymn we, we used to sing when I was growing up in Wales. Preserved in Jesus, when my feet made haste to, to hell, and there I would have been, but he does all things well. Uh, preserved in Jesus, before I was a Christian, before even I knew him, when I was going on my sweet way in rebellion against him, what was he doing? What was God doing for you before you put your trust in him? Well, he was putting breath in your body. He was causing the sun to shine on you and the rain to fall on you. Preserved in Jesus, even when my feet made haste to hell, and there I would have been. And you see, this woman, uh, Goma, she is hell-bent on destroying herself. But Hosea's love went out to her. And he provided for her, and he cared for her. And when she comes to the very rock bottom of her life, he is there for her. Go and love her again, God says. Show your love to your wife again. Go again, Hosea, and love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins. Uh, We're not really sure what those uh, love cakes of raisins are. I don't think they're Welsh cakes, but some people think they are. Um, But they're probably offerings aren't to Canaanite gods. How can you love people who prefers raisin cakes to the God who made the universe? How can you love people whose God is their belly, who worship created things rather than the creator? But we do, don't we? That's just what we're like. We chase after trivialities. We give our hearts to next to nothings. Tolstoy, in his novel, Anna Karenina, Tolstoy describes the relationship between Anna and her lover, Ronsky, like this. He soon felt that the fulfillment of his desires gave him only one grain of the mountain of happiness that he'd expected. This fulfillment showed him the eternal error men make in imagining that their happiness depends on the realization of their ideas. I love the way he puts it. It is an eternal error. It's an eternal error. Uh, We make mistakes, don't we? All of us make mistakes. Um, But this is a mistake. Uh, It also tells you that that you will regret for all eternity. It will ruin you forever. Uh, To imagine tonight that that your happiness will be found in the fulfillment of your desires. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis talks about this. um, Wormwood is, is giving advice to his 
Nephi Wormwood, How to Trap Human Beings. And he says, this is the way to do it. Give an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That's the way to destroy the human race. That is the story of the raisin cakes. That's the story of Goma. She's a sex addict at first. It's, it's exciting and pleasurable, but then she loses her looks. And her lovers, she's dumped and discarded, and nobody wants her. Uh, her lovers are now her pimps, selling her to whoever is willing to pay for her. That's the plight she's in. So shocking, isn't it? That's, that is the plight of men and women and boys and girls when they run away from God. When they run away from God. But it gets worse. There's a price to pay. Look at verse 2. So I bought her. Here she is. Where is she? She's in the marketplace. So I bought her. I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and lethech of barley. Altogether, that adds up, adds up to about 30 shekels. Uh, that is the price you would have paid for a slave. It's the price that uh, Joseph was sold for in Egypt. Interestingly, it's the price that uh, the Lord Jesus is betrayed for, pretty much. She's up for sale. Uh, she'd been stripped of all her clothing. Uh, all her potential buyers would have seen what they were getting. It doesn't get more sordid than this, does it? Some of you will be very, very uncomfortable as I preach on this. And they begin bidding for her body. And at the depths of her degradation, at the bottom of her life, when she must have felt so worthless and so shamed, she hears a a familiar voice. Someone says, 14 shekels and uh, one homer of barley. And then she hears this voice. She hears the voice of her husband. 15 shekels and nine bushels of barley. You see, in the Old Testament, when, when a wife uh, behaved the way that Gomer had behaved, bringing such shame on her family, divorce was almost mandatory. Or even death. Death was the punishment for this sort of behavior. But what does Hosea do? He buys her back, he brings her home. And if you can't see the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this, please come and see me afterwards. <laughs> All right? You see, Hosea does... Verse 3, and I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man, so will I also be to you. He buys her back, he brings her home. Just think how costly that must have been. For Hosea even to turn up in the slave market and raise his voice and identify himself with this woman, just think socially, culturally, how costly this would have been to him. Think how emotionally it must have been costly for him to have done this. You see, it's not easy to forgive, is it? Some of you sitting here know that. The thing is with forgiveness, isn't it? As C.S. Lewis said, we're all for forgiveness until we've got something to forgive. Because you can't just kiss and make up and pretend and then nothing's happened. What's he going to do with all the pain and all the danger that's inside of him? All the hurt and all the betrayal. What's he going to do? It, it doesn't just disappear, does it? 
It doesn't just dissipate. Either you're going to take it out on her and she must take it or you must bear it. And that's what Hosea does. He absorbs it into himself. He could have poured out his righteous indignation on her. He could have made her life a misery. He could have treated her like a slave for the rest of her days. But he doesn't do that, does he? Instead, he absorbs it into himself. What what I'm trying to say to you is this, that when you love someone, when you go to forgive someone, there is a price to pay. And to love anyone with problems involves a substitutionary sacrifice. Just think about it for a moment. You'll, You'll know this from your own experience. Let's say you've got a friend, she's going through a pretty terrible time. She's lonely, and you know that if you go to see her, there goes your evening. You've made plans for the evening, but you know that she's going through a tough time. You know she's lonely, she's suffering, she's hurting. And so if you go to see her, your evening is gone. So it's her or it's you at that point, isn't it? You can have your evening, and you can keep yourself intact while she emotionally suffers on her own. Or you can sacrifice your evening in order to bring friendship, friendship and comfort to her. Do you see? Do you see what I'm saying? An act of love towards a need person always involves substitutionary sacrifice of some sort. There's always a cost involved. In our redemption, there's always a price to be paid, and Jesus paid it on the cross. And it wasn't simply the physical sufferings that he went through. The Bible seems to play down the physical pain and the agony of of crucifixion. The the Bible doesn't dwell on that at all. As one of the Puritans said, the soul of his suffering was the suffering of his soul. Bearing shame. The scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. And that's his suffering. That is the cost that was paid for, isn't it? Crucifixion. It was his substitution. That was absorbing all the shame and all the guilt onto himself. V.J. Menon, some of you will, will know him. He was a kind of legend in this city in the 60s and 70s. He worked in Lloyd's of London. There's some great stories about V.J. Menon. And he wrote a book, How He Became a Christian a Hindu. And he wrote a book called Found by God. He puts it like this. He said, I wanted to belong to God so much. He'd been going to some lunchtime meetings at St. Helens Bishopsgate. And he wanted to belong so much that in my heart I was willing to pay any price. This will actually cost me, he said. Imagine I came to your house with a kidney machine to sell when you were on the point of dying with kidney failure. And you asked me how much it costs. And if I were to say to you, well, I'll exchange the kidney machine for the rubbish in uh, your back garden... Would you consider that too high a price to pay? Wouldn't you be only too willing to pay any price for that machine? And Vijay says, the cost that I have to pay Jesus for my salvation, for my redemption, to get my life back on track, the price that I have to pay Jesus to save me and redeem me was the rubbish in my backyard. The rubbish in my life. My sin, my selfishness, all that made me unhappy, all that made my life a misery. I could have hung on to that. I could have cherished my rubbish. But that thought never crossed my mind. You see, that's it, isn't it? 
You and I have nothing, nothing to contribute to our salvation except the sin that we need to be saved from. Isn't that true? Jesus paid it all. Jesus pays the price. Paul reminds us of that, doesn't he, in Romans chapter 5. That God showed his own love for us in this. Christ died for us while we were still his, while we were still sinners. Uh, we were just like Gomer chasing after other lovers. Just like Israel running after and Canaanite gods unfaithful. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How we sanitized the cross, haven't we? And the crosses that we see hanging around the place are nothing like the crosses uh, that Jesus died on. We decorate our buildings with them. We turn it into jewelry. We put it round our neck. But the Bible says, cursed, cursed is everyone who hangs on a cross. And we sing that children's hymn. There is a green hill far away outside a city wall where our dear Lord was crucified who dies to save us all. The lady who wrote those words lived in Ireland. The Emerald Isle, everything is green island. Uh, There was no green hill outside Jerusalem. It was the place where rubbish was burnt, wasn't it? It was Golgotha. Jesus died on a hill. There was no green hill far away. Jesus died outside the city wall. He was made sin for us. He who knew no sin. Uh, The sin of his people was dumped upon him. He became sin for us so that we might be put right with God. That is the price he pays. Someone has said, isn't he, that to make us, God only has to breathe. To redeem us, he had to bleed. Now, I hope some of you are thinking, that's all well and good, but where is that in the text? Where does it say in the text that God comes into the marketplace to redeem his people and pay the price to bring them home? Where is Jesus in this chapter? Where is the cross in Hosea chapter 3? Well, thirdly, there's a prophecy, isn't there? There's a promise here. You see it in verses 4 and 5. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. David's been dead for years. This is after David's time. But the prophet is looking forward to a time when the Israelites will return and they will seek their king and they will come trembling and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the last days. In other words, there's going to be a time when Israel will be in the wilderness far away, but eventually the children of Israel will return to David, their king. But David is dead. And so there must be another David. There must be another descendant of David. There must be great David's greatest son. Jesus in the New Testament, isn't it? That's how the crowds recognize him. They wave their palm branches and they cry out, Hosanna to the son of David. And in the New Testament, you might remember that Jesus identifies himself as the son of David. But also as the bridegroom who will be taken away to restore his runaway bride, to restore her to himself. John the Baptist was the best man, wasn't he? 
But Jesus is the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is going to be taken away in order to restore his runaway bride to himself. What does that mean? It simply means this, that your life, my life, is not your own. You are not your own. You've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed. There's an urban legend. I, I wish it was true. I wish it was a true story, but it's a myth about Winston Churchill. Apparently, when he was a child, he was almost drowned. Uh, his life was saved by the gardener. That much, I think, is true. And years later, when he was prime minister, uh, he had pneumonia, but his life was saved by penicillin. And the man who invented penicillin was Alexander Fleming, who just happened to be the son of the gardener who had saved his life as a boy. Now, there's some truth in that, but it didn't happen exactly like that. But never let the truth get in the way of a good illustration, I find. The, the point is this. You and I owe our lives not once or twice, but three times to God, to Jesus. Uh, he made us. He redeemed us. He is the word by which the world was made, and that word was made flesh and made his dwelling amongst us in order to bleed and die for our sins. He was made sin for us. And when we ran away from him into the arms of other gods, he came and sought us and bought us and brought us back. And he has given us his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, who lives in you tonight if you are a Christian. It means that the Spirit of Jesus actually dwells in your hearts. You are occupied by him. We are not your own. We are not our own. So how dare you live for yourself? How dare you live for yourself? You want to live any old way? However you please, squandering what God has paid such a high price for? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. And therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the wonderful news that you have sent great David's greatest son. That he has come to this earth as a saviour for sinners. He's taken our griefs and our sorrows and he's made them his very own. And you have imputed our sin to him and so heavenly father we thank you for that wonderful cross we thank you for that cross where our sin was born and your son endured your wrath 
And we praise and we worship you that the price has been paid, that it is finished. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to realize as your people we are not our own. Help us to see the foolishness, but also the blasphemy of being unfaithful to you. Help us not to bear your name in vain this week as your people. Give to us grace and strength, knowing that you have absorbed the cost for our sin. How live as we are, people who are indwelt by your Holy Spirit, your beloved children. Grant us grace, Heavenly Father, to break off from sin tonight. May none of us cherish it and hold on to it. Preserve us from that sin. Deliver us from the lie of the devil. Help us, Heavenly Father, to come to you again in faith and repentance. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.